Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. As you know, the Metrolink in Dublin has been in the planning stages for, well, over a decade now. Once again, we're hearing that it might be subject to even further delays because of issues with various state agencies. And that's just one example. Why does it take so long for us to do these things and where else in the world do they do it better? Frank MacDonald is an author and former environmental editor of the Irish Times. Afternoon, Frank. Good afternoon, Sean. Do you think the Metrolink will ever get built? Well, actually, you were you were uh, you were minimising the length of time that it's been <laughs> under consideration. It's actually been under consideration for twenty years, actually <sighs> even more than twenty years. So, and we and we've just got to the stage where it's gone to on board Panola, the second version of it, and we keep chopping and changing uh, things all the time. But, I mean, we've had a very poor track record in in, in planning for the future, and, and and that isn't true, as you said, of other countries such as such as France, uh, for example, where we all know about the country's high-speed TGV rail system, which has been in the making since the mid-1970s. And actually, back in 1981, as a young journalist, I, I was travelling on a press junket to on the first line, which linked Paris with Lyon. And I was just astonished by the speed of the that sleek orange train, um, uh, you know, doing nearly, uh, I think it was 290 kilometres an hour whizzing through the countryside. And by 2021, you know, uh, what, uh, 40 years later, there were already 2,800 kilometres of dedicated TGV lines serving most of the cities in France and carrying more than 110 million passengers a year. And, you know, like all good things, there are plans now to extend that network into Italy and Spain. Mm. And that's one of the great things about the French, because when they decide to do something bold like that, they just get on get on with doing it. Um, and they're helped in that way by the Napoleonic Code, where the state basically takes precedence over uh, private citizens. And after it was, uh, as King Louis Louis XIV put it, l'état c'est moi, um, the state is me. Um, and... The Japanese had done it, of course, already uh, with their Shinkansen bullet trains, um, which I've also travelled on, uh, on on two different trips to Japan. uh, Just fantastic. Uh, uh, And China is now busily doing it uh, even more than than anybody else in the world. And creating a network of high-speed rail lines which will link all its main cities with with a staggering length of 42,000 kilometres completed by the end of last year. And all of that has happened since the mid-noughties, which is incredible, really. And that's really not much more than 15 years ago. And such rapid development has really only happened because China, of course, is run by a totalitarian regime that can ride roughshod over objections from anyone um, standing standing in the way. And uh, I remember the last time I was in China, I took a, I travelled on a, a modern express train from Beijing to Shanghai, which took more than eight hours to do the distance of 1,450 kilometres. And the high-speed train that has replaced that uh, can now do it in four and a half hours. And there's a train in each direction every half an hour or so. And, you know, the fastest train in the world, actually, is, 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 um, is the Maglev um, linking Shanghai's airport with the city. And that reaches a top speed of 431 kilometers per hour. I mean, it's gobsmacking, really. And it does the 37 kilometer journey in just seven and a half minutes. I mean, just think about that. I mean, my, my head was nearly spinning when I got 
when I got off it. Yes. And the, the, <laughs> you can imagine. And uh, and that line, I mean, it, it, the, it's, the reason why it's called maglev is because it, it's, it uses uh, a technology called magnetic levitation. And it was built by a German consortium of Siemens, Krupps, uh, Thyssen for 1.2 billion euro and asked uh, uh, why they didn't have one of them in Germany. The, the answer they gave was, we couldn't afford it. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, imagine if you were an American uh, traveling in China by high-speed train uh, nowadays. I mean, you'd soon realize that the U.S. has lost its technological edge. I mean, it used to have a really extensive rail network from coast to coast and up and down. And but now there's only a handful of of, of fairly clapped out passenger passenger lines. And you know, unfortunately, the Americans put their faith in roads. You know, with the the mesh of of interstate highways running east, west, and north, south, that were partly intended to be used in evacuating cities if there was a nuclear war. Um, but it really represented the triumph of, of the auto industry because I've often cited this you know, example of, of, of Los Angeles. Until the mid-1920s, that city had the most extensive tramway network in the United States. Hmm. And then the company that was running it uh, was bought by a consortium of General Motors, Standard Oil and Firestone Rubber. What a gang yeah. uh, who scrapped it and decreed that the city needs to cater for cars. Uh, and so that's why uh, Los Angeles is now crisscrossed by all of these so-called freeways that, of course, are congested because the traffic has expanded the f- to fill the road space available. Yeah. And if only America had retained its railway network, you know, Americans could now be crisscrossing the country in high-speed trains. Instead, you know, what they're doing, you know, kind of like playing as if they're in road movies, um, you know, driving very long distances or flying everywhere. I mean, it's ridiculous that there's, there's short haul flights between Boston and New York City. Um, and, you know, we don't, we, I mean, near our, near our home, you know, in, in uh, you know, Britain, Britain really is still arguing about, about its uh, high speed rail program uh, such as it is. Um, I mean, they they failed to develop high speed rail lines other than the the so called HS1, which links uh, London with the Channel Tunnel, and the first phase of HS2 is under construction from London to Birmingham and Manchester. But an extension to Leeds is now in doubt, and they're they're arguing about that uh, now. Uh, but at least um, London's Crossrail project, uh, now called the Elizabeth Line is is up and running since it was officially last uh, opened last May by by the late Queen, after whom it's called, and it took 13 years to build and cost nearly 20 billion, but it's dramatically cut journey times uh, through central London, and you know like if you look at the the London Tube map, the latest version of the London Tube map includes um, the Elizabeth Line, and it's a, a big. It's a blue, a dark blue line that runs right through from from uh, east to west, west to east, depending on your point of view, and um, and and it was incredible that they managed to thread that line through the existing network of underground tube lines and 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 everything else, you know. So I think it was a spectacular engineering achievement, and you can now get apparently from uh, from Paddington Station. 
uh, to Bond Street in just four minutes. And previously, it used to take 17 minutes. So, you know, like it's just a win-win for everybody who lives in in in, in London, yeah. particularly in the centre. Yeah. The thing is, though, coming back to Ireland, uh, and I mean, <laughs> short of setting up some sort of uh, dictatorship where, you know, that, that person can just go, no, we're like building it. Uh, is that what the problem is here that we're so slow about everything is that there's too many there's too many interest groups there's too many uh, government agencies uh, all having a say in any particular infrastructure project yeah basically all of that and 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 more and and there are also you know like in relation to metrolink there are also very serious objections like for example um, the Office of Public Works uh, has charge of um, St. Stephen's Green. Um, not many people realise that. They think it might be something to do with Dublin City Council, but it isn't. Uh, and St. Stephen's Green was given as a present to the city by Lord Ardenon back in, in 1880. And it was protected. Um, uh, the whole thing was, was done by a, an act of parliament in Westminster uh, called the St. Stephen's Green Dublin Act. And that that pledge to protect that that 25 acres of beautiful green space in the middle of of the city uh, in perpetuity. And then in 2006 or or 2008, I think it was, um, uh, the government introduced an amendment to the Stevens Green Act, uh, which allowed for um, um, it to be uh, to accommodate anything to do with um, with uh, uh, Metro. And as a result, the North the north west the northeastern quadrant of the green or sorry this yeah the northeastern quadrant of the green the one closest to Marion row yeah. that's scheduled to be dug up and turned into an enormous hole in the ground to dig out a station for the for the metrolink uh, program so all of the trees uh, that you can see at, in that section of the green, which is very extensive, um, and they've been there for a very, very long time. Plus the Robert, the, the uh, Wolf Tone Memorial um, on the corner, that's all going to be uh, um, taken down and uh, relocated uh, and so on. So, you know, like a lot of people in Ireland really can't imagine what things are going to be like until it's sitting right in front of them. So when they the, the tree fillers come along to clear that section of the green, people will be uh, horrified by it. So that there are legitimate arguments against um, various projects that, that, that come up that you can't just ride roughshod over uh, over objections from, from people uh, based on quite realistic grounds. And I have to confess that I put in a, a, a submission on Metrolink and I made the point that I, I really didn't understand why the priority was being given to that and not to the much more crucial Dart Underground project between Houston and, and Spencer Dock running via uh, High Street, um, uh, St. Stephen's Green and... Um, Pierce Station in Western Row, because that would integrate the entire Dublin suburban rail system, uh, all the Dublin suburban rail lines into a single network. And that would be the most transformative thing uh, that we could do. But unfortunately, the National Transport Authority, for some reason, best known to itself, uh, but it certainly doesn't make sense to me or anybody or anybody who's seriously thought about these issues, has deferred that until after 2042. Mm. Now, it's it, and, and now that's just as you were saying that somebody texted in to say no accountability is why nothing ever gets done in Ireland. Is it also like there's a lack of transparency in the sense that just as you alluded to there, no one gives a reason why they do something or don't do something. 
Well, I think that that's part of the problem, you know, that there, that, that, you know, there, there are these so-called consultation exercises, but, you know, decisions are then made uh, to go ahead with, with, uh, with, with things. I mean, the National Transport Authority, I think, is uh, one of the least accountable state agencies, uh, in my experience, because it's very hard to get, uh, to get um, a response from them if you put in queries uh, and, and so on about, about things. I mean, there was a lot of controversy about the Bus Connects project in Dublin, mm. which, which involves, you know, doing something you know, very beneficial, which essentially would give priority to to bus to buses on all of the major arterial roads leading in into the city centre, and that, you know, uh, uh, you know, you'd say, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. We should do that. But then it transpired that a lot of the long-established street trees, mainly London plane trees, that have been standing on streets like Pembroke Road, for example, um, uh, in Balls Bridge were going to be felled to make more room for the buses. And the reason why that was that was happening and is in danger of still happening is because the National Transport Authority wanted to, wanted to ensure that there would still be room for cars, mm. you know, so that they were really not just catering for buses, they were catering for, for, uh, for continued motorised, private motorised traffic in the city as well. And that is something that they, they really haven't uh, been held to account for. Yeah. Do we need, could we do it in a Napoleonic code here? Or would we trust anyone with such a thing? Yeah, but, yeah, but this is the thing, you know, like uh, the Napoleonic code gave uh, basically Baron Haussmann uh, the, 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 the free ride to, to dramatically change uh, Paris by driving all the boulevards and, and the great avenues uh, through the existing city and a lot of demolition took place and, and but it, it gave us the Paris that we know today and but one of the great things is that even with all of the Paris that he was invested in by, by the Emperor Napoleon III you know all of his plans were not realised and I think one of the more fascinating parts of Paris and the most charming areas of Paris are the areas that survived Haussmann and where you can still see the medieval pattern of, street, of streets, you know, around places like the Boulevard Saint-Germain or the Boulevard Saint-Michel, um, you know, which are really, really lovely. And, and so, you know, I think it would have been a disaster for Paris if Haussmann had managed to realise all of his plans, because the whole place would have ended up looking like the Avenue de l'Opera. Mm. And that would have been uh, something that would, would really, uh, would be just so monotonous and so, uh, you know, so wrong, really, you know, yeah. that, that um, I'm glad it didn't happen. Frank, thanks a million uh, for speaking with us today. Uh, that was uh, the author, Frank MacDonald, also, of course, uh, former Environment Editor of the Irish Times. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.